on the Fan Morning Show. Gunner and Ailish, Baby Friday. No Blue Jays baseball today, but we're coming off a nice, easy, drama-free, clean win yesterday. It's a it's kind a of boring. Mm, yeah. Kind of, now a little too boring. I didn't need drama, but just I don't know, a little more spice. We needed like a, a blown sass. call, something. a missed review. Yeah, just a little something of that. Someone to rush the field. No. Never. No, that. it's terrible. I definitely would never cheer for that if I was at the ballpark and saw a Yahoo run on the field. No, never, it's terrible. Never, no, never. Uh, ben Shulman, Blue Jays broadcaster at Sportsnet 590. The fan joins us bright and early. How's it going, Ben? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Are you kind of bored with the Blue Jays all of a sudden? They win a game 7 nothing <laughs> against a team they should have beat. And, and, you know, Bassett goes eight scoreless innings. Like, yawn. <laughs> I honestly, guys, I, I I think I needed it. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not as fun for uh, for for talking about it, and, and I'll be on talking about it with Jesse coming up at noon mm-hmm. across the network as well. But um, man, I mean, c- could they use like a boring blowout, high scoring win? Uh, hopefully, <laughs> that ended off day is kind of exactly what they needed because. Uh, you're going to Colorado and then Kansas City and, and Oakland, and boring is perfect for those. I mean, they've played a lot of boring baseball those teams have this year, and unfortunately for their fans, the hope is that it, it stays boring for the next nine days. <laughs> yeah, you would certainly like that. And, I, you know, I, we look ahead here, and how many times have we done this? But, hey, I'll try one more time this season where we say, hey, the bats woke up. A few guys that you don't expect it from. They had a big day. They now have an off day. I guess that's kind of the worst timing for one. You finally actually uh, have have some momentum offensively. Now you're headed to Coors Field. I know the dimensions don't make it look that way, but we know how the ball can travel there. If you're trying to sell yourself on this Jays offense, having a, a kind of just slap in the face, uh, wake up zombie moment here, it feels like this is it. You had the big offensive day yesterday and you didn't even need your big guys to do it. I think that's maybe, uh, well, I'd be more encouraged if one of them maybe had a better day <laughs> yesterday, but you understand what I'm saying, that it, it wasn't the murderer's row that got it done. Once again, I'm sitting here trying to talk myself into that being the game that turns everything around for the for the Jays. Yeah, I mean, who knows at this point? Honestly, there's such little time left for this offense to have a, a big awakening. It is possible. There's still a month left in the season. Who knows? But I, I think at this point, you take the good offensive day and you just hope there's another one coming because they have been, you know, a little too rare, obviously, and that's why the Jays are in the position that they're in. But it, it's it's good to have a lot of the guys that are, you know, not in in the the top four, right in the middle of the order, producing. I, I think any time that you're getting a, a really good day out of Alejandro Kirk. Uh, you're probably going to win the game uh, these days because uh, when he is on, he he still looks like that guy from last year. It just hasn't happened all that much. And at least they've gotten some consistent production out of Vladdy. It hasn't been huge. They did get a couple home runs recently, which was nice. Um, but they're getting some hits consistently from him. And, and it, it is impressive, you know, given the fact that they are missing several guys still out of the starting lineup, that the injury bug kind of finally hit them coming up in this last month and a half of the season that they are able to do that. And you just hope that, you know, maybe some of this new life coming into the team, the Davis Schneider effect and all that is, it's going to help them at least, you know, score enough to put themselves 
in position. And then it all came down, uh, you know, to Chris Bassett being really, really good yesterday also. And uh, for the majority of the season, if the Blue Jays get a good start, they're going to win the game. So if they can just keep, you know, if they can avoid some of the horrors of course field as well and use some of the benefits of it in the fact that the ball is going to fly way further than it will anywhere else, then uh, they, they have a good shot to, to have some, some more banner offensive days. I, I think that we should expect that coming up at Coors Field. Yeah, I want to circle back on Alejandro Kirk because he's a guy that I feel like a lot of people maybe not gave up on, but he wasn't getting a lot of the same conversation that Vladdy and Springer and Chapman were in terms of offensive letdowns this season. And we saw a very different 24 hours uh, from being the guy we all talked about, not being able to run and make that mistake on, um, I guess it was Wednesday or sorry, Tuesday night. And then today we're praising his ability to really help this team in terms of his production to find a more consistent Alejandro Kirk. Obviously, we're not going to expect what we expected or we saw yesterday afternoon from him, but even half of that, even just being a threat somewhere lower in the lineup, what needs to change? Because he's got the skill set. He's been a guy that was an all-star and was contributing to this team, but you know, meeting in the middle, maybe lowering our expectations, but if Alejandro Kirk can do something for this ball team moving forward for this next 29 games, what does he need to do differently or what does he need to channel to have a little bit more impact? He's got to lift the ball. He's really got to get under it, I think, because you're right. He's He does have a lot of those skills still going this year that were working last year. Mm-hmm. I, I still find him to be one of the tougher guys to pitch to uh, that you're going to find this Blue Jays lineup. He's got a small zone. He doesn't expand. He's still making contact a ton, so if you put it in there, he's going to at least foul it off, and, and that allows him to work really deep at bats, get some mistake pitches, but uh, we've seen too often this season that he's, he's put the ball on the ground, and that's resulted in a lot of ground outs and a lot of double plays, and you know, clearly not the most fleet of foot, so putting the ball on the ground isn't something that, that you want him to do. It's not going to produce many base hits for Alejandro Kirk unless he finds a hole. If, if he can lift the ball at all, it still seems like he has a lot of that power in him. I mean, he hit some balls really hard yesterday and, and found gaps. And so if he can just get under it a little bit more, get a couple more balls to the outfield rather than the grounders or the pop-ups that are resulting in the infield, then I, I think he can still be close to that guy that we saw last year. He just needs to keep doing that. Yeah, it's, it's so funny with different hitters, like the things that can separate them and just a, a tick of launch angle up, uh, it maybe means the world of difference to, to, to a guy like that. Uh, somebody who's meant so much to this team since he's call, been called up is Davis Schneider. But I can't help but look at him and, and think about the lost opportunity that this is because when you have a guy who comes kind of out of nowhere, and I know it's not completely, but there were names ahead of him on the pecking order when we were looking at guys at the beginning of this season and he just continued to play, he continued to ascend a guy for a team like this should come up and all of a sudden be providing some pop in the bottom third of the lineup he shouldn't be your two hitter he shouldn't be cleanup and it just as happy as I am about the Davis Schneider thing and I'm loving the ride I'm enjoying it all it just it, it helps to highlight just how disappointing this lineup has been this season yeah, and you're walking a bit of a tightrope, I think, sometimes when you rely upon him in the top four. Like, I am about as big of a supporter of him as there is. I was all over trying to get him up to the to the majors when he was hitting homers all the time at, at AAA. But, you know, there is still a realistic possibility here that this this really starts regressing to the mean just because he's a guy in his first 
you know, season in the majors first couple of weeks and the better he does, the more they game plan and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I, I have a lot of faith that he'll continue to produce for the blue Jays, but it is, you know, a bit of a precarious position when you have to rely upon a guy in his first couple of weeks of his major league career, who, you know, still, I think has, has a lot to probably develop and a lot to learn. He's a young guy uh, at the major league level right now. It's, it's great that he keeps producing. Definitely the injuries are playing a factor in his position in the lineup. Obviously Bo Bichette would be up there. And then, you know, the, the factor of uh, lefties and righties having Brandon Belt in the mix there or not, I think changes some things as well. But I mean, we saw, you know, Whit Merrifield at cleanup for the second time in his major league career during the last series. They are definitely, Definitely just kind of juggling things and doing whatever they think they can to try and put everyone in the best positions. And it, it did work out, I think, for the most part in the Washington series, even the game they lost. They did have double digit hits and four runs isn't brutal. It's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, but it, it's it's definitely a, a weird spot, I think, to have a, a 28th round pick uh, coming up and, and within a few weeks hitting in the top four in your lineup consistently because you're not getting that production out of some other guys and, and some of the guys that you want production out of just aren't healthy right now and you can't get them in the lineup consistently. I'm chatting with Ben Schulman, a Sportsman 590 fan. Um, we've definitely seen that David Schneider has ignited a fan base. You're seeing mustaches around the stadium. You're seeing a lot of people calling him Babe Schneider. And I think when you look at what that invigoration of some of the Buffalo Bisons roster might have done to this team, seeing someone like Ernie Clement actually have a, a pretty good showing yesterday, even Mason McCoy getting his first major league appearance, and then obviously what, what David Schneider has been doing, is it too much to expect that maybe this actually helps the team just feel refreshed to see new faces, to have something exciting going on with this team because it's a long season and there's been some really slog slow down times for the Blue Jays do you think like the players really feel a little bit of a different like invigoration of excitement when some guys get an opportunity or am I maybe just like trying to instill some excitement in the Blue Jays narrative I I think it's certainly possible I mean at the end of the day these guys coming up from Buffalo they just haven't had to be there for all of, you know, kind of the, the downtimes of the struggles. They're coming up excited, wanting to produce, coming out aggressive and, and really trying to take this shot here. And, and I think at least, you know, whether it, it gets into the brains of some of the other guys on the Blue Jays is, is uh, only what a, a psychologist or a therapist would probably know. But I, I think at the end of the day, at a minimum, the guys coming up, probably have a bit of a different mindset than the Blue Jays. They're not coming from a team that has struggled much offensively. The Buffalo Bisons have been hitting the ball all season. They, uh, they've just been giving up too many runs, frankly. But, um, you know, they are coming from a team where it's been hit after hit after hit, tons of guys producing and, and a lot of guys pushing to try and fill that 25th, 26th roster spot. And so I think that they are kind of, you know, a, a little bit of a, a jump start for the offense and the fact that they just haven't experienced a, a lot of the pressure and a lot of the downs that a lot of the other guys on the team have been there for. So, you know, we'll see how, how much they can help going forward, especially the guys like Clement or McCoy, or if anyone else happens to come up. But uh, I, I do think that we've seen it with Schneider. I think we've seen it in spurts with Clement and it, it does feel like, 
you know, when these Bisons come up, they do tend to make a, a solid impact on the Blue Jays and especially on the offensive side. So they've got a pretty soft schedule coming up here, and it's baseball. You know, uh, even the worst teams win 60 or 70-some-odd times a, a year. So, uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt. And I understand there's no real answer to this because the Rangers could go winless between now and this series, and it doesn't matter. But what do they have to do between now and that Rangers series? Is it unfair to say six and three, seven and two. I mean, you don't want to be heading into that series, having it feel any bigger from your perspective than it is. How do you look at this kind of nine game stretch before that massive, massive series against uh, the Rangers starting September 11th? Yeah, it's, it's complicated. I, I do think, unfortunately for the blue Jays, they've played themselves into asking for some unfair things because uh, they didn't beat Cleveland in a series and, and they didn't have a, an awesome eight games before that against uh, Philadelphia, Washington, Baltimore, where they ended up splitting those four and four. So, I mean, you're right that you don't totally know because you don't know what the Rangers are going to do. And, and that's the team I think that has the biggest target on its back right now of any of the three ALS teams in the race. The Rangers are just not playing very quality baseball yesterday. They, they lost on a, a hit by pitch from Roldis Chapman. Oh my God. To, to ben, quickly, quickly. If we would have had that game yesterday, oh, we would have blown up. It would have been, it would have been a seven hour show today. I would have never let bunk in here. Oh, Cause I would have just been so upset. I mean, so, what yeah. a, what a ridiculous game. Like I've never been riding with with the emotions of the New York Mets more than I did yesterday. But um, I I think for the nine game stretch, frankly, I, I I think to put themselves in the best position, like seven and two is probably what you ask for. I I think they easily have to win all three series. I could see someone going with six and three, but in the spot they're in, I I think a sweep is not unfair to ask from one of these three series. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly difficult to sweep teams in the major leagues. The Rockies do win more than a third of their games, but the A's don't and the Kansas city Royals don't. And I think uh, at a certain point here, you got to go out and you got to sweep one of these really tough teams. And you know, if, if they can win seven of those games and there's, not in a playoff spot coming out of that. At least I think they put a good foot forward and probably gained a game or two. And then the real damage is going to be done when the Blue Jays and the Rangers play each other, I think you hope. And that's that's the best thing about the Rangers slipping into the mix is hopefully you can gain on them and you still control your own destiny in that fact. It does feel like a lot of the Blue Jays' destiny is out of their hands, and I think rightfully so. But technically, with the fact that they play the Rangers, the Blue Jays still control their own destiny if they win Uh, a certain number of their games and win enough against the Texas Rangers, they will find themselves in the wild card spot. So I I think seven wins is something to shoot for. And and if you get six, fine. But if you get seven or more, then I think you're in a really good spot. Yeah, that uh, series here at home against the Texas Rangers is hopefully will be must-see hottest ticket because if they can put themselves in a position and you're the ones controlling your destiny at that point, uh, everybody will be down there at the ballpark. Uh, We're chatting with Ben Shulman. um, the Rockies and Coors Field. Uh, Coors Field is an interesting one because there's like a there's a positive about you know it's easy hitter friendly, it's really great. You're gonna go there and you're gonna hit bombs. But there's also like this, the narrative that it's kind of difficult to go there and play and get acclimated quickly and to be a part of that uh, atmosphere change there, um, altitude change. Um, so. When you look at a change that quickly with an off day in between, are there any reasons for pause, like something that the pitchers have to deal with or anything, or is it just like they're pros, they don't have to think twice, there are no external factors that should be negative for the Blue Jays? 
Yeah, for the most part, I, I don't think it's a, a huge, uh, you know, kind of barrier just because uh, I think a lot of teams have dealt with it. And, you know, the Colorado Rockies continue to lose a lot of games at home, just like they do on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think for the pitchers, you know, the Blue Jays pitching staff has been obviously very, very good this year. They've been kind of middle of the pack and giving up home runs. They were giving up a lot to start the year. They don't give up as many now, but, you know, if you're giving up a, a decent number of home runs, generally you're going to give up a, a good number of home runs in theory at Coors Field. So maybe an adjustment for them in game planning. You're going to see probably guys, you know, rely more on pitches like change-ups or obviously for Gosman, the splitter, and, and keeping pitches down and trying to, you know, stay off of the barrel, which obviously you're trying to do in every game, but I think you just make maybe be a bit more of a a heightened concern about that when you're playing against the Rockies, when any ball can go out at any moment. And I think an interesting thing too, and Brett mentioned it earlier is, you know, the dimensions don't make it look like it's a a hitter friendly ballpark because uh, it's got a huge outfield to try and compensate for that, that altitude. I think that almost works in the favor of the blue Jays though, because they have about as good of an outfield defense as you'll find in major league baseball. So, you know, for the outfielders, it might be a bit of an adjustment, but you think about a guy like Dalton Varsha, who's played really well in center and played uh, at Coors Field when he was a Diamondback last year in the division with the Rockies. I think that's really helpful. So I think for Blue Jays hitters, if there's anything to learn, they do have two pretty good sources in Varsho from the last season and a half when he was breaking in with the Diamondbacks and Brandon Belt playing in the division with the Rockies for over a decade. But it's certainly an adjustment. It certainly plays into the hand of the Rockies. I just think you'd hope from a talent side for the Blue Jays that they are you know, that much better than the Rockies that whatever adjustment needs to be made, they have uh, more than enough of a kind of a, a talent gap with Colorado that they'll be able to overcome it. Game one will be Hunjun Ryu. And then you say Kikuchi and Kevin Gosman, uh, Hunjun Ryu, just, you know, getting back fully at this point. Um, are you there with Hunjun Ryu? Have you seen what you've needed over his last couple starts since coming back from Tommy John surgery to say that he is uh, really like a, a free deadline acquisition that has bolstered this, this bullpen or this uh, starting rotation to the point where, you know, we're talking about it being the best in baseball, or is there something more you need from him tomorrow night to really get there? I think I'm I'm pretty solid with Hyunjin Ryu. I, I don't expect him to go out and throw seven. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a five, six at best guy, but he's going out there. He's throwing a lot of strikes. He's getting a lot of weak contact. He got hard done by in this last start with a couple of errors that knocked him out of the game or else, you know, he would have probably continued and at least finished that that inning. So I, I think that we've seen what we need to see from him. The curveball looks great. The velo's down, but it seems to be working. So, you know, no one I think is, is going to complain too much about that. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a great free deadline acquisition. They needed a fifth starter clearly and to slot him in has been huge. Yeah, it certainly has. I just, uh, you mentioned it off the top and I uh, just double checked to make sure I heard correctly. So you're on with Rubinoff today, 12 to two across the Sportsnet radio network. Are you getting your Sheldon Keefe Leafs opinions ready? Or are you guys going to keep it strictly in the bounds of baseball? I'm very curious about this. No, I, I think we'll, uh, we'll dip into the world of hockey as well. So that'll be fun. I, uh, I, I do get pretty zeroed in on baseball throughout the summer. So it's nice to step back a little bit and uh, look at a team where, hey, you're you're angry at the Jays. Well, how about the Leafs? People seem to be angry at them all the time. So uh, <laughs> that makes for uh, that makes for good talk radio, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, can't confirm. Uh, ben, always love you uh, jumping on with us, and uh, I'll be in the car, so I'll definitely be listening mm-hmm. later when uh, you and Rubes are on. So enjoy it. Thanks for coming on with us, man.
Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a good morning, guys. There you go. It's Ben Shulman. All right. Uh, full off day for the Blue Jays today as they head out to Colorado. Not that guy. Not that guy. He's grind- always grinding. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, noon, catch those guys on the station. Um, before we get to an absolutely incredible guest, another one, mm-hmm. uh, Gunther Steiner is going to join us, team principal of Haas Formula One team, of course, with a new book to talk about. And then obviously this season, which hasn't been the best for us, but we're getting, you know, we'll get some insight from him. Uh, it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Um, we're talking about the U.S. Ryder Cup team being set. Uh, Sam Burns, Ricky Fowler, Brooks Kepka, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, and Justin Thomas announced as a team six captain picks to round out the roster facing Team Europe next month, uh, added to the six automatic qualifiers. So obviously some names, some sadness mm-hmm. for some that didn't make it, uh, but you're the golf guy. Yeah. <clears throat> the question I think some people circle around mm-hmm. is, is this just like an old boys club? Yes. Um, you know, did all of these guys really deserve to make it? No. no. Um, and is that something that we see change? So it used to be eight automatic qualifiers, and then there were four captain's picks. They went to the six captain's picks because mm-hmm. there were guys who would have incredibly hot runs down the stretch and they wouldn't get picked. Mm. And the idea was you want to have the hot hand hitting into the tournament. That hasn't happened for any of the American guys. You would have liked somebody in that bottom tier to have really stepped on the gas. Now there are guys you could put in there. Lucas Glover won a couple of events Uh, late in the year. Our our sweaty guy, (laughs) tough, tough look for him out there. That's kind of the way they went about it. Now they go, okay, we want to have more captain's picks. I don't think, I mean, if they lose, it's like Canada with hockey. Every yeah. time America loses a Ryder Cup, they got to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> What's going on? How could we, how dare we allow this to happen? I could see a world where that changes, but you're still going to have four captain's picks and that is still going to go to an old boys club kind of network. And it's always a, it's so funny. We read way too much, I think, into the personalities of this. Like they're going to mm-hmm. go hang out together. They're going to go play golf for two rounds together. It is not the the most important thing that everybody is absolute best friends. They always say that's what lets Europe get along, but I think it's that Europe just has a better baseline of it. There's so many cliques in kind of American golf. It's the college system, guys who have played together. There's a whole kind of Oklahoma State group that right. all comes up together. So I think this is just the way American golf is. There's constantly going to be a task force. Maybe they go to four captain's picks. Maybe they go mm-hmm. to maybe they go to 10 captain's picks and only two auto qualifiers. Couldn't actually see that because if anything, they probably want to remove captain's picks to mm-hmm. avoid any of the drama of yeah. just saying, hey, look, if you're in, you're in. If you're not, you're not. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a little old boys club. And I feel awful for Keegan Bradley just to hammer home on that again. How different is it from how the European team picks? Like- well, the difference is, is that there's just a smaller stable of truly elite yeah, guys so whereas easier. you know a guy like keegan bradley if he was if he was i don't know what his european name would be but if his he if he was keegan bradley from ireland he would be on that team <laughs> he's one, got he could be an yeah, Irish totally name, could, actually. actually definitely could be that his name would be keegan bradley <laughs> and that or oh bradley or something yes. like that he would be a lock on that team. So the difference is, is that the guys you're picking between mm-hmm. on the Europe side, it's not as, it's not seen as a slap in the face. They don't have the track record that a guy like Bradley would. So it's just the kind of depth of field issue there. Surprised that they added a live player to the U.S. roster. Was that, a, do you think, a big consideration? I think it would have been, I think three months ago, it was definitely something mm-hmm. that was talked about. I think they wanted to make sure to have a live guy on there as long as it was somebody with merit. They right. didn't want it to be seen as a shutting out of live because mm-hmm. of what their merger partnership, mm-hmm. strategic alignment, whatever they want to call it. So Kepka being on there, but to the old boys club part, 
Bryson doesn't get along with anybody, and that's part of the reason why he's not on the team as well. His play, also a reason. Live, also a reason, but it's the get-along part. So I'm not surprised that Kepka made it. Who's going to win? Guy. Oh, Europe's going to win. I bet on them two weeks ago nice. uh, when I saw Hovland win. What were the and odds? Then he won again. I got it at 167. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's been shrinking. I saw it at plus 150. Uh, so I jumped on that nice and early. And okay. I got to say... Nothing's going to happen between now, so probably the odds have chilled mm -hmm. out, but that's why I had to do it because I had smart. a feeling about Europe. Uh, yeah. Hovland won the whole thing. So love, there you go. love our guy Hovland. Um, okay, well, that was your golf update. Thank you. The well, half of the golf that. guys, half the golf show today. Um, before we get to Kipper and Brian Burke in our final hour, we've got a awesome, awesome guest, uh, Gunther Steiner, team principal of Haas Formula One, author of Surviving to Drive, so a new book that he got, uh, he published out on the end of July. It's already become a New York Times bestseller. It's kind of a different perspective of, of, of following the whole journey of an entire season, kind of going inside the Haas team uh, during during last year's Formula One season. Very, very insightful for a different perspective than what we see with Netflix Drive to Survive. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll chat with him after the break, and then we'll wrap up our hour with a little hockey talk. That's all next on the Fan Morning Show with Gunnar and Ailish. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan morning show. Gunner and Ailish here with you till nine o'clock. Very, very welcome or happy to welcome in our next guest, Gunther Steiner, team principal, Haas Formula One team. Gunther, uh, you're a big Netflix star now. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. How are you doing this morning? Well, good, and thanks for having me. Thank you very much. So where, I shouldn't say good morning, where, where are we in the world, uh, Gunther, and what time <laughs> is it where you are? It's early afternoon. It's uh, 1.30 in the afternoon, and I'm in Monza. But this weekend, she's got the Monza uh, uh, Grand Prix in Formula 1. Obviously, uh, obviously a really, really big race uh, across the store, uh, sport. I imagine it's a little more uh, special for you as well. If you could just talk about the week that, that Monza is. I mean, again, you know, there are there are these kind of tentpole events in the sport. Obviously, Monaco, I think, is the one that people probably think of first and foremost. But uh, just how special is Monza to you as well? Yeah, uh, Monza especially is one of the historic Grand Prix, let's call it, and, and the high speed of this racetrack uh, uh, is, is, is the fastest racetrack of the year where we go to. Uh, the top speed is very high and there's very few corners and uh, uh, it's the last race in Europe as well. So, uh, you know, all the European fans try to come here before we, uh, before we move to Asia and the Americas and, and the Middle East. So, uh, a lot of people here and uh, always the Tifosi. Uh, I think you guys know Monza is the home of the Ferrari Tifosi, so we will see uh, a sea of red here and hopefully Ferrari can pull something up for them to make them happy so they go away happy on Sunday night. <laughs> You've got obviously a, a special connection uh, to this country itself. Uh, do you usually feel like this one has a little bit more for you personally? Do you get more up for the Italian heritage that you know you do have and you do uh, you celebrate that? But, you know, this is a competition this weekend. But does this feel a little bit more special for you personally? Yeah, especially. I mean, Monza, I'm, I'm Italian. I'm born in Italy. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I moved to the States. And uh, But, uh, no, especially the, it's the closest uh, uh, race to where I come from. And I go actually back to my home place on Monday. So it is special. Uh, and uh, But on the other side, I forgot to mention this one before. But it's my, it's my home race because... 
people uh, give me a lot of home races these days. They, they, we have got two <laughs> Italian Grand Prix. Uh, we have got three Grand Prix in the States because I'm at the American citizenship as well. And then, you know, I'm very close to Austria. So they say that uh, that's my home Grand Prix as well. So <laughs> I completely forgot about that. But no, Monte is that one uh, uh, which I, uh, is closest to my home place. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, talking to Gunther Steiner, team principal for Haas Formula One team. How do you, or maybe I shouldn't phrase it that way. Do you feel like there's been a change in the sport? I mean, obviously we know that the Netflix series Drive to Survive brought in a lot of new eyeballs, but I don't know for somebody like you if that even registers. I mean, you're at the track every week. It's packed long before Netflix have had a TV show about you guys. How do you feel like the Netflix and maybe the new fans brought in? Has it changed the feel around the sport at all? for you? Yeah, it has changed a lot. I think the, uh, uh, the, the sport has moved in a very good and in a better place than it was maybe five, ten years ago. And not that it was bad before, it was always nice, but now it opened. Uh, we have got a lot more uh, young fans coming to the races and watching the races, having interest in what we are doing. Because I think, obviously, I'm biased, maybe. It, it's a cool sport. But uh, uh, we attract a lot of uh, a younger fan base I mean, the, the enthusiasm they bring to the event, it, it's quite amazing and it has changed. I, I really can feel it. I'm doing this a long time and it was always a popular sport, but now it has become uh, very, uh, very trendy for young people as well, you know, which is just good for us because we without the fans are nothing, you know, we, 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 we love our fans and I uh, hope they love us as much as we love them. Oh, they certainly do, especially here. Uh, you are definitely one of the favorites in Canada, um, and, and I know a lot of our listeners are excited uh, to hear you on our air- airwaves. And I wonder for you, because, well, we're here to also talk about your new book, Surviving to Drive. Uh, came out at the end of last month. First month on the shelves, New York Times bestseller. Uh, clearly, you found a, a thing to do when you do retire one day down the road. You just be a writer. Um, but being able to give a different perspective, being able to open up and really get into what it's like behind the scenes um, were you maybe inspired by the way that fan base did react to the Netflix series, how much of an appetite there was for learning more about this sport that kind of blew up in, in a sense? Was that part of the reason that you wanted to write this book? Yeah, I, I would say I was supposed to write this, uh, a, a book. And at the time, I, I wasn't really thinking about writing a book, but I was approached by uh, somebody and I was like, I'm not writing, uh, I'm not going to write a biography, you know, or a technical book. And I, in the, in the first instance, I declined. I said, no, I mean, I passed on this one. And then the guys got in, uh, kept in touch with me. And then he came out. I said, if we do something, we need to do something uh, new, let's call it. Then mm. uh, for sure it was, uh, I think, inspired by, by the Netflix series. But I said, it needs to be a book that the people which read it, uh, they have fun reading it. They don't need to be the super fans of Formula One, but they, it's, even somebody who doesn't watch F1 should be entertained by it, you know, should get something out of it, a little bit of knowledge of F1 and have a good time reading it. That, uh, that was the aim of it. And I think uh, we achieved that one. So what did you learn personally in the process? Like, Does it give you a different reflection when you're starting to write and take the readers through an entire Formula One season behind the scenes? Like, was there something you took from it that maybe in the moment you weren't appreciating or understanding the hardships of an entire season in F1? Well, well what I took away, uh, you know, when you live this life, like uh, uh, I'm living, we are living, I'm not the only one which is doing this, obviously. So uh, it's like, because you're, you're just always keep on going and I'm doing this uh, uh, racing car since uh, 1986. So, you always think this is normality, 
And then when people, when you speak with people afterwards and, and they tell you, oh, this was cool. I, I never imagined this one. When you do it yourself, it's because you're in your normal words. This is, this is the daily grind, what you have to fight, what you have to, uh, to do. And then people tell you that this is not actually not normal. You just realize it then when you think about it. And that was the most revealing to me, how, uh, how unnormal my normality is to other people. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting way to put it. And it is funny when you get outside of your own bubble. It feels so normal to you. And I think that goes for kind of anybody in any walk of life. It can feel really just, yeah, I go through the motions. But if uh, somebody's not used to that world and they get a peek behind the curtain, it's certainly uh, interesting. You know, just just looking back on the, the perception of the team, you know, I think somebody looking on the outside who maybe before they had watched the Netflix show or if they were just had a passing interest in F1, they would see Haas and maybe it's not a team that's that compelling to them. Them, but I think the the story that you guys were able to tell uh, across the series or the seasons of Drive to Survive, I think you know, in a sport that has so much money and it is it rules the day, and we see how much the drivers make. And I'm not begrudging any of them or you guys, the team principals. You all should lead a, a great life financially. But in a world where money is just thrown around everywhere, I think a lot of people found themselves kind of drawn to Haas, and because of your story of the you know, not I don't want to paint it as financial hardships, but there were obviously budgetary uh, constraints with your team. What did you, did you feel like people were kind of warming up to you because of that? It was a little bit of an everyman team in a sport that doesn't necessarily feel that way. Do you understand what I'm saying, Gunther? Yeah, absolutely. I was saying, yeah, you can see that and people see uh, is that, uh, you know, where we are fighting, there's as much hard work going in with the big teams, which, uh, uh, which are fighting at the top of the, uh, of the sport. But uh, it also makes us understand how difficult and how complex Formula One is as a new team. I mean, we are in the sport. We are still the youngest team in Formula One, as you may know. We are in our eighth season now, and the next uh, the next youngest team maybe is 25 years older than us. Mm. So it's not only money; it's also you know just being here. Uh, 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 it, it's a grind that you get respected, that you uh, that you move up there, and it takes time because there was a lot of teams in Formula One, but. A lot of teams didn't make it, and we are here in our eighth season. Uh, are we the best team? Maybe not, but are we a strong team? I would say yes, and we are here to stay, and people see that, that this is not an easy sport because uh, uh, the dumbest person in F1 is pretty, pretty intelligent, you know. It's you're fighting a very, uh, a, a, a very stiff competition here. So, and I think people see that, that obviously when you come in new, you have to build up all your capabilities and also your finances and all, all that stuff. So... But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, for sure a lot of people, I would say, almost feel for you how much, uh, how much the whole team is pushing to get there where the other ones are, and we will get there. So you're through 14 races this season. Um, you showed some progress last year, but definitely you struggled a little bit to find the footing uh, that you've probably uh, projected for your team this year. So you just came back from summer break last week in the Netherlands. Maybe it's a good time for a reset for everybody. Uh, so what goals would you have or are you setting for your team for the second half of the season ahead? Yes, you rightly said. I mean, we started off uh, uh, strong and then we, we didn't make progress and everybody else did. Uh, so uh, we came back and uh, we, we made a few changes in the team coming back. I had time to think about what we need to do uh, moving forward that we get stronger, hopefully this year, but at least next year. Uh, we made some changes. We will uh, bring some upgrades later on in the season. And they're not only for the short term to make this car better, but it's uh, changing a little bit the way how our car uh, uh, will look and hopefully uh, perform. 
and uh, but also mainly to get ready for next year. You know, it's already we are pulling to next year now, and we need to get ready. So in the moment, we the next races we try to get the best out of the package we have got now of the car we are uh, using now, and then we will bring some upgrades and try to tune that one in, and hopefully uh, 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 we can get it uh, done. How important is it for, for F1, the kind of health of the sport or the continued growth of the sport to continue to grow in North America and I guess the United States specifically? I mean, we know the Miami Grand Prix, it's a newer event they brought in that had a ton. It, honestly, it had a, you, you can feel free to tell me this is ridiculous what I'm saying. It felt like our version of Monaco over here it was very sexy. There were a lot of celebrities around. How important is it for F1 as a sport to kind of have a, a foothold in the States? And I know that have the race in Austin as well, not just the one in Miami. No, it's very important uh, because it's growing so uh, so much. But in the moment, three races, I think for the for the short term, it's enough. You know, we need to stabilize, and I think we are doing that one this year. Obviously, uh, Las Vegas is on the calendar later on in the year. Uh, but as you say, Miami, it's uh, it's again special. But what is happening now in Formula One? Every uh, race has got his particularity. You know, Miami, as you say, it's the uh, 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 American version of uh, uh, Monaco is Miami. You guys know how Miami is. Miami, uh, you know, <laughs> likes to party, to live, and gives all the, all that good stuff. Uh, while Austin, a fantastic event, uh, uh, that that is more for the race fans. They put a good show on. They have got good good concerts. You know, it, it's just a different vibe because in Las Vegas, I mean, we all know Las Vegas. That will be a different planet with going down the strip with that one car. So. But uh, I, I, I think the good thing in F1 in the moment is they've got next year 24 races, but they are very different between them. So it's not like a Kukokati, you know. Uh, 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 we have one, one race and everything looks the same. No, every race has its speciality. I mean, you know, uh, we can do week in, week out. We, we see something different. And I think that's what that makes interesting and appealing uh, to the fans, that they always can uh, look at something new and different. And that uh, I think it's in general... At one, there's always something happening, you know. If it isn't anything good, there's for sure something bad happening people can talk about. How excited um, are you and the team, and I guess even just F1 in general, to get to Las Vegas? It'll be the, the debut of the new race. It's the second last one of the calendar down in November. Um, as you mentioned, every race has something special, but not many times do you get to shut down the Las Vegas Strip and race around um, in front of hundreds of thousands of fans. That one must be one you've circled on the calendar. Absolutely, and I, I think it's been uh, mega cool. I think I just had to watch my team, you know. Some people haven't been in Vegas, and, and you know, you can do a lot of things in Vegas, uh, 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 but uh, the mechanics and the engineers should be working, so I think we have to put them on a, a short leash there, otherwise they get distracted too much. But uh, uh, in general, I mean, going to Las Vegas, who would have ever uh, dreamt uh, five years ago that one day Formula One cars will go down uh, on the strip on uh, on closed goals racing, you know. I think mean, just thinking on this thing, this is cool things. Uh, you know, you almost cannot bring them up, you know. Mm-hmm. When they happen, it's just like, if this is really happening, you know, uh, <laughs> because it's just like something maybe five years I would never have even dreamt of, of, of it will happen. You'll have to go check out a Vegas Golden Knights hockey game. They just won the Stanley Cup. Um, that city will be partying for another year, at least with that season. So if it lines up, get to a hockey game, Gunther, because <laughs> it'll be really fun. And, you know, now you're half American, right? So you've got a, you got some hockey in your blood. Yeah, I've got some hockey in my blood. I played when I was a kid because I come from the cold part of Italy. You know, I played hockey and 
actually when I was in Canada, uh, uh, we did an event with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I don't know if they're your favorite team no. or not, but, uh, <laughs> but I think I, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It, you know, I know that I was poking you. Mm-hmm. you know, I know where you're sitting. So uh, I quite like them, by the way. Uh, but uh, I like the other ones as well. No, I met you very good fun because I wasn't on skate in a, uh, in hockey gear for a long time, and I had my daughter with me, and we had good fun with them. So it was uh, great what uh, what they put on for me uh, in Canada. What kind of hockey player were you? Goal scorer, physicality, goaltender? What was your role? Goaltender. Oh. And I had the full goaltender gear on when I was with the Canadians, you know. So, uh, you know, it has changed since I played last. The technology has moved on in hockey as well. <laughs> well, we'll have to dig up some photos of that. Uh, no, sorry. I got to ask one more, <laughs> Gunther. We have a saying here. I don't know if this translates over. Goalies are always a little weird, a w- little weird, <laughs> a little off. Is that a fair thing to say about you? Are you a little off kilter, Gunter? Uh, I, I would, uh, I wouldn't say I'm completely normal. Let's put it this way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, absolutely a fan favorite. We'll say that, uh, Gunther. Appreciate you jumping on with us today. So great to catch up. Best of luck with the rest of the season and this race in general. I know it's a special one for you and your team, and we're looking forward to following it for the rest of the year. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. It's Anytime. all the best. Anytime. Thank thanks Thank so much. You. Gunther Steiner, team principal of Haas Formula One team and an author of his new book, uh, Driving to Survive. You can check that out. Um, anywhere you get your books. It's already a New York Times bestseller, so if you've missed it, you get on it. It was uh, published about a month and a half ago, and it is a great insight into behind the scenes um, of last year's season. It is called Surviving to Drive, so check that out. That was amazing. Did not expect the the big turn at the end there. I love that. That yeah. was awesome. I need to see Gunther Steiner as an e-bug. We really do. Yeah. Get him see, down there in people, Vegas. People want to ban e-bugs, but what if it was Gunther Steiner? Yeah, just never David Ayers he, again. No, That's no. the only one. You can just you can eliminate him. him from contention, but when I got to look at the Vegas Golden Knights schedule right now, because if there is a Golden Knights game when I would, they I are would, there. Th- I would like to think you'd want them home. It's kind of part of the pomp I'm and circumstance right of so it. It's I November do 19th. No, they're on the road. Disgusting. I think maybe it'd be For kind shame. of a busy weekend. I guess. But that's, you capitalize on F1 fans that yeah. come out overseas or come over to Vegas. Well, the funniest, and I think we're kind of out of this now, but if you go and look at the first five years of Golden Knights, go mm-hmm. look at who played on New Year's Eve every year. It was the Leafs, then the Canadians, then the Rangers. Yeah. It was all blue bloods, big money fan yeah. bases. They are very particular about the Vegas scheduling. And one day, that's, uh, you know, I don't think about hockey this way. Like we romanticize baseball. Of, oh, you want to go see all the parks? I don't feel that way. I, I'm happy to go watch an NHL game in a barn, but I don't think mm-hmm. of it as, wow, I finally checked Nashville off my yeah. list. But that is one oh, that I very, my, very much wanted. Have you been to a lot of different rinks? No, not really. I've been to, I'm trying to think, like, I mean, a million OHL barns, but as yeah. far as professional ones. Like I've NHL been, games. Yeah, I, I went to, I've been to the Pizza Hut and the old one in uh, in mm-hmm. Detroit. Yeah, me too. And then I've been to, uh, obviously, Scotiabank, Maple Leaf Gardens I did, and then uh, the outdoor game at BMO. But yeah, oh, I haven't, yeah, gone to, haven't gone to a lot of elsewhere elsewhere NHL venues. I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, I went to a bunch of Boston games uh, when I was right. at school. But other than that, uh, I, I, my list is, is slim. I got to get to not, Vegas. It's not like... 
I am very much the type of person where if I'm in a city and there's a ball game, I feel like that's such an easier sell right. to the group of it's like, like hey, you're twenty five bucks. It's daytime. Sit outside, gonna have some drinks. Exactly. It's a very different experience than going to like it feels like a real event to go to an NHL game or NBA even for that. Yeah, matter. missed opportunity by the Vegas Golden Knights. They're at Philadelphia and at Pittsburgh that weekend. So. That was awesome. I was yeah. I was curious, honestly. Like big name, happy to talk to yeah. him, but I was a little like, where's this interview gonna go? <laughs> I thought it was you really take it interesting. Wherever with him. I, I loved it. I uh, got to take a look at that book because I'm sure, even though he's like, I didn't want to make it about me, like a, a biography, but I think he'll have some yeah. insight on his uh, on his life. And they just finished their summer break over in the Netherlands. And I don't know if you follow any of the F1 racers on Instagram or their social accounts, but a summer break when you're an F1 driver is a very, 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 very different type of lifestyle than a summer break when you're a radio host. Let's the, just put that gently. Let, let me put it this way. The William Nylander is strong in all of them. Yeah. The F1 drivers. There's a lot of um, yacht. Yeah, I didn't see I didn't see any cornrows while eating prosciutto. Oh. That would have been quite the that thing to the see. Internet. That really did. No, there was really no. Oh, uh, I just, can you imagine? I know we're talking about, can you imagine Willie shows up not caring about not having a contract with the cornrows from that, that, uh, that that photo shoot, yeah. I very much again. Toronto would burn down at this point in time. The deal's not happening, so it might as well be the funniest thing that could possibly happen to come out of this. Willie's going to drive people insane when he shows up. I hope up. he comes up with the, the most outrageous wardrobe he's ever worn. Yeah, like, I, want I hope him, he goes I want into stores wearing, he's never been to. I feel like Justin Bieber was at a Leaf game last year. He was wearing these like alien was, sunglasses. Yeah. You were there. It was crazy. Justin Bieber went to that game, um, and he but was that's wearing what I want Willie the wearing. most ridiculous yeah. thing I've ever seen. Like he looked like a bug. Yes, he this did. This crazy colored jacket and these bug glasses, and I saw him up close and personal. And I actually spoke to him, and I couldn't even—I didn't even know if I was making eye contact with him because he was wearing those goggles. They're weird. I was like, "Hey, Justin, how's it going?" And he's like, "Hey," and I'm like, "Are you looking at me?" We're sure he's not a goalie. No, he's not. No, like I know he, that. But yeah, the, but he might. There's be. a lot of remember goalie, when he wanted to play against Jordan Bennington. I do remember that in the shootout. It never happened though. I also remember Chris Pronger. My one of the top ten pictures and top ten pictures in NHL yeah, history yeah. is Chris Pronger just mushing him into the glass in the uh, celebrity All Star game. Uh, and it looks like he's about to break Justin Bieber's neck, and Chris Pronger has the biggest smile you've ever seen on anybody's face. It's full cri- kid on Christmas morning. I just smile. typed in Gunther Steiner, Montreal Canadiens, yeah. and there's full-on, there's an eight-minute video posted by the NHL of F1 Grand Prix with Gunther Steiner, Amazing. and this was this summer because he was at Montreal. Should have got Lance Stroll, I guess, competing teams. Couldn't yeah, do that, but the Canadian angle yeah. as well. There's, there's a whole video here behind the scenes by the Montreal Canadiens of Gunther. Oh, my volume's on. You can hear it. Uh, <laughs> Gunther hitting the ice as a goalie. We got to watch this during the break. Uh, he looks He looks pretty good. There might be something there. So Gunther Steiner might be, you know. I thought I thought he was going to say just gritty two-way center. A team principal who has yeah. to think about a thousand things. That felt like a very fitting job for him. But also I feel like you have to be a little crazy to want to be a team principal, especially one that operates uh, budget-wise the way Haas does. So, yeah, there's definitely a little 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 goalie in him for sure. Well, that was really fun. I Thanks, Danielle. That. That awesome. uh, he's we've had him twice, I believe, in my time on the morning show, and it both times has been electric. So, a great guy to get him. Not, you know, I think we're a Haas team here now. Uh, Haas I, I, I will I will never ever begrudge uh, the the Haas team. 
I a you great know squad. I, I I check in every once in a while with Daniele, mm-hmm. our our beloved Ferrari, mm-hmm. but it's uh you know they just get, he doesn't want to talk about they it. just got waxed every week. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got Nick Kiprios joining us after the break to get into the Sheldon Keefe two year contract extension, and maybe he knows about what's going on with Willie, and Ooh. then we'll wrap it up with Brian Burke talk about his role at, with the PWHL, the Players Association, as an executive director, uh, the the amount of effort he's put into growing the women's game and where we're at right now uh, because it's been a really important week and so we'll chat with both of these bros after the break